up, champs? Welcome to the Stats to Assets podcast, where we teach athletes financial literacy, how to build wealth, and how to optimize your mental health. I'm Coach Ernie, Coach E. Man, today we have an awesome, awesome guest, awesome athlete, entrepreneur, businessman. Man, welcome to the show, Drake Baldwin. How you doing? I'm doing excellent, Ernie. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the, you inviting me here, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. You, you, I've been seeing you, like we talked about, I've been seeing your, your videos and your, your business for, for a long time, even when I was playing professional basketball. So this is real, a real honor. It's real cool too. Um, so we're going to get into it. Let's get right into it, Dre. Um, for the community or anybody who hasn't, doesn't know who you are, Mm -hmm. who you are and then what you do. Sure. I'll give you the, the two minute version. So uh, I come from the city of Philadelphia, PA, uh, now live in Miami, Florida. Uh, background, always in the sports, uh, as you did, uh, was a basketball player. Uh, I didn't start playing until I was around age 14, but I was playing, I dabbled in every sport, start playing mm-hmm. basketball around age 14, played one year of high school basketball. So needless to say, I didn't, and I only scored two points a game that one year in high school. So needless to say, anybody who knows basketball knows that that player probably is not going anywhere. So to mm. play in college, I had to walk on, which means no scholarship. No coaches didn't know me. I just literally walked into the gym and had to kind of play my way onto the team, right. which I was able to do. But it was only at a Division three at the Division three level. And D3 colleges don't really produce professional athletes in any sport. So even though I played in college, I didn't really have any prospects to play pro. So when I got out of college, I had to kind of hustle my way into playing pro ball. So my first year out of college, I was working at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. Then I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness on memberships. This is 2004, just to give everybody a timeline here. Mm-hmm. So then in, uh, in the summer of 2005, around this time of year from when we were recording this, I went to this event called an exposure camp where, for those who don't know what that is, you pay your own money to basically give yourself a chance. You pay for a tryout. So I paid for a tryout at an exposure camp and I played pretty well there. And that's where I got a good scouting report. I got good footage. Mm-hmm. Of myself playing at that camp because I was playing against other pro level players. I took the scouting report and the footage from that camp and I started literally cold calling basketball agents. So in the summer of 2005, I was getting on the phone. This is not DMs. This is not emails. I'm getting on the phone and calling basketball agents and telling them, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I got. Here's my proof because I had mm-hmm. the, the scouting report and the footage and a bunch of I called about 60 basketball agents. About 20 of them said, hey, let me see what you got. And I sent them the footage. Now, just to date myself here, Ernie, um, that footage was not a YouTube link. That was a VHS tape. Do y'all remember VHS? I do, yeah. Okay, so I had a a VCR at home. Those of y'all listening, millennials don't know what that is. Ask your parents or your your Uh, uncles. They'll tell you or or Google it. So I had a VCR, a double-decker VCR, so I can make copies on my own VHS tapes. And I would go to Eckert, the the, uh, pharmacy, and I would mm-hmm. buy like a 10 pack of blank tapes and I would make copies of my own tape and I would mail those out on my own dime to basketball agents. And that's how I got my first agent. My first agent got me my first deal, which was in Countess, Lithuania in the summer of 2005. So that's how I got on overseas. OK, at the same at the same time, I started I took the footage from that VHS tape and I got it onto a data CD. I put that in my parents desktop computer and I uploaded that footage to this new website called YouTube dot com. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, people like yourself, and that's where most people know me from. If they know me, they know me from YouTube. People don't right. know me from overseas because Americans okay. don't watch overseas basketball. So that's kind of how I got known on the internet was through YouTube. So over the years, I published 8,000 videos on YouTube. So that's where my brand came from. But I'm playing overseas around, and I'll shorten the story up around 2009. I found myself unemployed again in basketball. Mm. And that's when I really started focusing on Ernie. Um, what if I don't get another job? Because it was no guarantee I was going to get right. another one because I knew when I first started, I didn't get a job immediately. So what if I don't get another one? What am I going to do? So right. I just finished reading uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Uh, years earlier, I had read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I already had this entrepreneurial mindset in me, but I just wanted to play basketball first. So I knew yeah. my next thing was going to be entrepreneurship. So when I found myself out of a job, I started focusing a little bit more on this whole thing I had on the Internet which we now call personal branding. But at the time, it, there wasn't a name for it. Uh, we were barely even using the phrase social media in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't barely even using the phrase content. So that's when I started really focusing on just talking about myself, writing more articles. That led to me uh, writing books eventually. And a lot of the basketball players who were following me, when they found out that story, the little bit that I've told you here, they just wanted to know about my mindset. They're like, man, you got cut, but you kept trying out. Right, you didn't yeah. have any prospects to play college, but you walked on. Right, nobody wanted you to sign you to play pro, but you kept trying anyway. You put up your own money, drove from Philly to Orlando because that exposure camp was in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Those of you don't know the geography. That's a 19 hour drive. You drive from Philly to Orlando and pay your own money just for a chance to play pro basketball. It was no guarantee that was going to work. Right. So how did you do it? What's the mentality behind a person who would do these things? Exactly. So they started asking me about mindset. So that led to me uh, every Monday for. I used to put out these videos called the weekly motivation on YouTube. And I did that for, and that was just me talking about things like discipline, confidence, mental toughness, just my little mindset things that I thought they were normal to me, Ernie. These are mm-hmm. just the way I normally think. Mm. And these are the things that drove my, my actions. But I noticed as I kept talking about these things, that this was like a novel idea to a lot of people. So I did the weekly motivation every Monday for 400 Mondays in a row. And those videos became the foundation for what I do now. So fast forwarding in the story, I kept playing ball till 2015, but I started writing books in between then. I kept doing the weekly motivations. And what happened, just a small piece here, is that people who didn't play sports started finding me through those weekly motivations because they would say, well, Dre, well, I'm not trying to make the NBA. I don't want to learn how to dunk. Right. I want to learn how to do the Kobe move that you teach on you know, every other day. But when you talk about that weekly motivation, like that stuff, anybody can use that. So that told me, all right, when I get done playing ball, I'm not limited to just the basketball community. I could talk to anybody with this little piece right here, the mindset part. So Mm -hmm. when I stopped playing ball in 2015, I always saw myself as going beyond basketball. I never saw myself as just a a basketball player. I wanted to go beyond sports. So when I got done playing ball in 2015, I knew I was going to expand outside of the sports world. And fast forward to today, that's where I'm at. I'm a a business uh, mindset and strategy coach. Mm -hmm. And that is what I do. I work with professionals, mostly non-athletes on mindset, strategy, accountability and execution. My company's called Work On Your Game. And and now we're here. That that is awesome. That's so crazy. And I was just about to ask you about the mindset. People want to know. My my question is, how is that mindset for you normal? Like what in childhood and growing up gave you that ability to be like, see the next, you know, see the next place that you wanted to be and what Mm. to do and just to go at it and not have fear. And maybe you have fear, but Mm. you you busted through that. You just did it anyway. Talk, Talk about that a little bit. 
Man, that's a good question. And there's, I can't even say that there's any specific particular thing that made me have that mentality. It mm -hmm. was just always the way that I thought. I always mm -hmm. saw myself, Ernie, as I always thought a little bit different than the, than the group, than mm -hmm. the crowd. And I never had a problem being a person who had an opinion that was different from everybody else's, you know, okay. and especially as kids, you know, where you no know, peer pressure is a thing, you know, so you can get you no, know, uh, not even attacked, but um, like teased or ostracized or you know, somebody might come at you because you have an opinion that's different from everybody else in the group. But I never had a problem with that and being able to think differently from everybody in the group. And also I always had the ability to not always, but I have developed the ability to articulate my difference in opinion in a way that people can understand it, even if they don't agree with it, they can understand it. Mm -hmm. So, and I would have to give credit if I had to go way back, I had to give credit to my mother. I mean, she's an yeah. educator okay. and she had my sister and I, my sister's a year older than me. So she had both of us reading and writing before we started school. And she was just really big on education. You're going to be educated. You're going to know your stuff. So she was always big into that. So I, I've always had the bug for reading and writing, which is why I've written so much and I read so much. So mm -hmm. I think that led to my ability to you know, put words together, mm -hmm. um, speaking ability, public speaking and things like that. It all came from my affinity for reading and writing. So if I had to give it one thing, I would say that. And then that just led to me reading books and kind of mm -hmm. getting my own secondary education outside of the school, the traditional education. Yeah, that's that's really important. Talk about mm -hmm. you said 400 videos in a row. And this is when you 400 when you were, Mondays in a row. Yeah, 400, 400 Mondays in a row. So yeah. talk. All I hear is discipline, even though it's mm -hmm. weekly. Right. It's yeah. 400. It's a year plus 50, 50 days. Right. Or I don't know. <laughs> not, not 50 days, but you know what I'm saying? 400 videos. Yeah. for oh, it, it, That speaks to your discipline and your goal you set your goal i don't know if your 400 was your goal but what was your goal uh, let me ask you what was the goal was it 400 or was it to develop some type of discipline or other a uh, skill with that no actually when i started there wasn't really a goal there wasn't an okay. end point that i was looking at because i okay. the only reason i started doing it is because this is like 2009 so by this point i got a bunch of videos on youtube but they're all just me doing drills you no know, on the yeah. court you no know, probably, probably the stuff that you saw of me doing and any yeah. ball player saw me doing so i was just showing people how to practice basketball which i always did but okay. because people kept asking me so many questions about mindset i said all right let me just talk about it once a week i'll just talk about mindset and the other mm, six days yeah. i'll do basketball okay. so and i said i'm only going to keep doing this if y'all want it so if y'all want this y'all want me to keep talking about mindset just leave a comment on these videos and tell me i should do more so when i started doing it people said yeah do more like we we like the way that you break it down and you explain it Again, I thought this was the way that everybody thought. But when I started talking about it, I realized that this was like news to people, the stuff yeah. that I was saying. Yeah. So I said, OK, well, I'll just keep doing it. So I just kept doing it. And all of those videos, again, they became the foundation of everything that I do now. All my books, all my, my speaking gigs, all of that stuff started with something that I said in one of those weekly motivation videos. So I just kept it going because I saw people were responding to it. Cool. So you saw your impact and the, and the need. People wanted that, the, right. the information. Cool. Hundred percent. Talk about um. So if there's some college kid or high school kid and they're like, "Hey, I want, I want to do motivation or I want to put this content out that mm. I think I'm an expert at or that I just enjoy," but they're stopped in their tracks because of I don't know fear of what people will think or just um they're scared. They're scared to to be vulnerable and put things out. 
what would you say to them? Mm, that's a good question. I would say, well, the first thing is at some point you got to jump in the pool. I mean, this is just <laughs> how life works. Right? You got to jump in the pool. You're either going to yeah. sink or you're going to swim. But you can't you know, spend your life sitting on the edge of the pool, you know, dipping your toes in. At some point, you got to jump in and just put your stuff out there. And the thing about putting your stuff out there is the first thing you put out might not hit. It might not you might not get any kind of audience. And these days, because I'm mm -hmm. talking about almost 15 years ago when I started. Yeah. But these days you start. There's so many people publishing content and so much stuff out there. Your first forays out there might not get any attention whatsoever. Nobody's going to see it. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing, actually, for you, because if you think it's bad, then nobody saw it anyway. So you have no reason <laughs> to be embarrassed. Good. And the thing is, at the same time, the more stuff you create, mm -hmm. and this is the reason why I tell people that if you're going to be in the thought leadership space, you have to be creating content because what it does is it allows you to find your voice. It took me time to find my voice. I've published I, over the last 17 years, I published over 15,000 pieces of content. So when people hear me talk, Mm -hmm. And they say, man, how did you get so, so good? How'd you get polished? How'd you get to you know, put words together the way you did? It's 10,000 mm -hmm. hours. Like I've literally done 10,000 hours of this yeah. right, because I've been doing it so much. And it's not like everything I put out went viral. Like I've, I don't think I've ever had anything go viral. You know, it's just because I've just showed up every single day and did the work and put my stuff out there. I found my voice. So mm -hmm. I know exactly what topics I'm on. I can you know, put together how this topic connects to that topic. No, it's damn near hardly any question that I haven't answered. There's anything mm -hmm. I haven't addressed on the topics that I'm is in my my zone of expertise. So for people that are out there, it's you just got to get out there and find your voice because you want to find your voice before the world finds you. So when right. you start to get that attention, you actually know what you're saying and you'll be on point because with a lot of people, you're not going to get a second chance. They're going to watch you once. And if they're not interested, they're not coming back. So you want to be ready when that opportunity finds you, when that attention finds you. So get out there now and get the kinks out mm -hmm. while you're a nobody. So when you become mm -hmm. somebody, you're already on point. Yes. So you talk about opportunity, right? And mm -hmm. from your story so far, you created opportunities for yourself, right? So mm -hmm. one year, um, one year of um, high school ball and you created an opportunity for college ball, mm -hmm. right? Um, you create an opportunity from college ball to pro paying your way to go to the, the, um, exposure camps right yeah and then again here in the next kind of phase of uh of career in life after basketball or kind of you kind of started during basketball right but right again creating a lane for yourself creating an opportunity by putting yourself out there being vulnerable and so man i just want to make sure that these athletes are seeing this these other coaches are hearing this you have to create your opportunity for yourself like if you're not highly, you know, recruited for D1 or in your business, you have to put yourself out there. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people do struggle with that, especially also going from professional like us to the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of us are scared. I was I was scared. I didn't know what was going on in retirement. But again, mm -hmm. finally got to where I'm at. And I definitely understand I have to create my opportunities. I got to talk. I got to get out and do what it is that I want to do first. Right. Like you said. <laughs> if nobody sees it it's okay if it's bad just take it off <laughs> right i will leave it up right <laughs> leave um, it there. Yeah. so am i correct nine years of uh pro ball yes okay <laughs> where did you play where all did you play so i started in lithuania from there let's see if i can keep it in order i went to uh mexico after that then i was on a no i started in lithuania then went to a traveling team in the usa 
So it was okay. like a, a show basketball type traveling team. So like uh, you heard of Harlem Globetrotters. Right. It was this team that was like the, the Costco version of the Harlem Globetrotters. It was the, it was the cheap version. <laughs> Not so Costco. <laughs> yeah, the Costco version. So then uh, I was in Mexico. Then after Mexico, I was in uh, Montenegro. After Montenegro, mm-hmm. no, I'm getting mixed up. After Mexico, I was in Germany. Then after Germany, I was in Montenegro. After Montenegro, then I was in Croatia. After Croatia, I was in Slovakia. And in between, somewhere in between there, I was in the, the UK. And I think that's everywhere. UK, okay. Yeah. Little, yeah, so a little bit of, uh, is that most countries, East, East Europe, a little bit? Most of it was, well, it was all in Europe. Some of them yeah. Eastern, some of them Western. But yeah, yeah, everything was in Europe. And then that uh, one stint in Mexico. Cool. So yeah. first, um, favorite country you played in and why? Favorite country on the court was definitely Montenegro because okay. in in Montenegro we practice we had a game every week on Saturdays, mm-hmm. but then we would practice twice a day, Monday through Friday, and a lot of times we would just do shooting, shooting, shooting. That was the all we did. Right. So I was like I was feeling like Steph Curry by the time I left there because that's all we did was shooting shooting practices and mm-hmm. we practiced you no know, we were practicing way more than we were playing. So my shot was like automatic at that point. And and Montenegro is a, a beautiful place. I was on right on the water, Herzegovina, right off the uh, Bay of Kotor, was okay. the feeder into the Mediterranean. So it wasn't even that cold, even though it was winter time. It was about fifty degrees on the coldest days. So I look at that place most fondly, just from the the basketball experience. And off the court, I'll have to say Mexico, because Mexico was just completely unpredictable. You never knew okay. what was going to happen every single day. You never knew what was going to happen in Mexico oh, at man. that time. Yeah, it was early in my career. I was 24 at the time. I probably wouldn't do that now, but back then it was very fun. So that's, that's what we'll say about Mexico. <laughs> what's, what city? What city in Mexico? Mexico. I was in a bunch of cities, but mostly okay. in uh, Guadalajara. That's where I started out. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk about explain that. What's that mean? Uh, that Mexico. Yeah, like it's like oh my God. never knew what was happening every day. Was it like Man. practice here, practice there, no tournament, no game? Like what? It's Mexico, there were times we played three games in one day. <laughs> we were uh, traveling around. I got like three different infections in Mexico. Didn't even know oh, what it was. Okay. There was a time I thought I was going blind because my eyes were like super blurry. It was like, do you see the do you see the Ray Charles movie with Jamie Foxx? Remember that movie? <laughs> And you remember when he was going blind as a little kid, he kept rubbing his eyes. He couldn't see. That's what was happening to me. I thought I was literally going blind, but it was some kind of, I had some kind of eye infection. So then I told my, my agent he's Mexican. He spoke English, but we go to the, he takes me to a pharmacy and the people at the pharmacy don't speak English. Mm -hmm. So I had to tell him what was going on. He told them they're having a conversation in Spanish and I could speak some Spanish, but not, not fluent. So they're having a conversation in Spanish. I don't know what they're saying. She comes back with like three pills and some drops. And he's like, all right, take two of these every day and put this in your eye every morning. And I don't even know what it is. I know. <laughs> what am so I supposed scary. to do? Right. And I, I can't do anything. I have to take it. So I started taking it and it actually worked. So thank God it worked. And I got my vision back. <laughs> but that happened. I had a toe infection from who knows what that was from. It was it was some unsanitary circumstances out there in the, in the showers mm-hmm. and the bathrooms and stuff like that. It was just crazy. And then. Um, we got robbed by the cops one time, me and my teammate. We're both Americans and I could speak some Spanish, but again, not fluent. So one night we went to a club and we were walking back home from the club 
And it was like two in the morning and we're walking through like residential neighborhoods and the cops mm-hmm. rolled up on us. And you ever been to Mexico? I have, I have. Okay, so in Mexico, you know, the cops roll around with the big guns and they got mm-hmm. the guns strapped to their chest. They're not like the little handguns like in America. They got the big guns and they roll no, around no, in like no. army tanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're in army tanks and there's like wow. six of them. You never see two, one cop by themselves. There's a yeah. bunch of them together. So they hop out on us and they start asking us questions. And my teammate can't even speak English. I mean, he can't speak Spanish. I can speak Spanish some and we could tell them where we're trying to go. So they like patted us down. And, you know, down mm-hmm. there is no you don't have the same rights as in America. No. Yeah, so they do what they want. So they patted us down. And my teammate has some money in his pocket. I didn't have any pesos in my pocket at the moment. He did. They mm-hmm. took his pesos. They took his money. And then they gave us a ride home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they said, we're going to charge yeah. you for the taxi. Yeah, they, they taxed us. It wasn't anything we could do. Oh, and man. yeah, so that happened in Mexico. And man, so many things happened in Mexico. We would just walk around and just wait for some some girls to beat their horns at us. And then we just go <laughs> talk to them. And we couldn't even, we could barely speak yeah. conversational Spanish, but it worked. So that's funny. it was very funny. fun. At, again, at 24, it was fun. Of course. Yeah. You wrote a book on that, all Mexico, all Mexico stuff yet? I could, but I have not yet. I don't know. Some stories I might have to take to my grave, but right, I okay. could write I could write a good amount of it. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Appreciate you <laughs> sharing sharing the details on that. Um sure. so man, what I, I wanted to ask something about overseas. Um, but I did. Let's let's go on here. Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Dre, what what excites you about entrepreneurship? Um, I'm curious. The, the folks are curious. Yeah. Tell us. So I growing up, my parents and the adults, all the adults around me were nine to fivers. Right? They worked traditional jobs, mm-hmm. you know, made enough to you know, provide food, clothing, shelter and all of that. But the challenge that I saw looking at the adults around me growing up was that they were first of all, they were always at work or getting mm-hmm. ready for work. Their whole lives revolved around their jobs which is fine because a lot of my life revolves around my job. However, they never had any extra time. They never, they never talked about work. Like it was something they enjoyed. They weren't looking forward to work. Work was like a a necessary evil. It was like something they had to do. And they would talk about it in such a way like, Hey, I go to work every day so that I can pay the bills and, you know, take care of you, food, clothing, shelter, et cetera. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, there was never any extra money. There was no, additional money it was enough money to pay the bills and again provide the basics but there was never any extra but i'm like so i would think to myself well you're always at work you don't have any extra time and then you still don't have any extra money and you don't even seem to enjoy going to work so (laughs) i'm going to school and getting a degree as i was always told just so i could live this life i i didn't want that i wasn't looking forward to that okay but i didn't see an alternative i didn't know if there was an alternative until in the middle of my college years, one day I responded to a uh, it was like a bulletin board post. Again, this is before we had the smartphone. So there's a, actually a, literally a bulletin board on campus that says you want to make some extra money, unlimited potential income. We called his phone number. I called the phone number. Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, all right, I'm going to have a little meeting at this building on campus on Friday. So I go to the little meeting and this guy is doing network marketing. I never heard of network marketing at the time. And. I didn't. And I, I went to a couple meetings when I got home. I went to school at Penn State Altoona, which is like in the middle of the state. It's near State College, okay. Pennsylvania. I went back home to Philadelphia and I went to a couple of the meetings for this company. Now, I didn't stay in network marketing, but I went to enough meetings that it planted a seed in my mind. 
and one of the major benefits of a network marketing experience. And again, I'm not even in it, so I'm not telling people they need to go do it. But one of the benefits of it is that they teach principles of entrepreneurship that otherwise people do not know because mm-hmm. they don't teach it in college. Mm-hmm. And they don't teach it in high school. The American educational system is designed to create employees. It's not designed to yeah. create entrepreneurs. So when I went to these meetings, they would talk about things like, passive income. And they would talk about things like making money in your sleep. And they would talk about these things that, again, I have a business degree. They had not taught me any of this at, at school, but they were teaching it at these hotel meetings. I was paying $2 to go to. Okay. And I'm listening to that. And I'm like, man, these people are there. I'm like, this is what I need to be doing. Like, I need to be getting into entrepreneurship. Even if it's not this, I need to be doing something along these lines. Because what they were talking about were principles. Yeah. Because to sell, you know, I'm, I've always been a salesperson in my, just at heart, I'm a salesperson. So they would, the way they would do the meetings and probably everybody listens to this has been pitch network marketing at some point or another in life. I'm sure you have too, Ernie. So oh, yeah. what, the way that they, the way that they set it up is uh-huh. they te- they talk about the principles and then they say, well, here's one vehicle for doing it, which is whatever the product is for that particular company. Right. But the whole meeting is really about the principles of entrepreneurship. It's not about the company or the product itself. And when I was listening to that, I said, man, they're actually on to something. This actually does make sense. And this is the other thing that happened, Ernie. They would say at the end of the meetings, when you get out of here, there's a table outside of the room. Make sure you buy those books and you start reading the reading these authors. And they would mention these names that I never heard of. They would say mm-hmm. names like Tony Robbins and Napoleon yep. Hill, Zig Ziglar, uh, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn. I never heard of these people. And I'm like, who are these? Who are these names? That they, and they would always say the same names over and over again. So when I got back to college the following year, I went on eBay. And this is back when you went before this pre before Amazon took over. I went mm-hmm. on eBay and I bought a couple books for 99 cents. It was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. And I read both of those books. And I said, when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I said, this this guy is he's he was making even more sense of what I heard in network marketing meetings. This is how the other side makes money. All right. This is mm-hmm. one side is you go to the job, you clock in, you clock out, you get a check. The other right. side, they make money this way. I said, OK, I might not do exactly what he's talking about, but I need to do something like this. I could, I could extract the principle without even doing a specific thing. So I knew this is why I was still in college. I know I'm going to play ball when I get out of school. But when I'm done with ball, I'm doing this. So yes. then around 2008, 2009, again, I told you this when I found myself unemployed. I mm-hmm. just read Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Workweek. Now, Tim Ferriss's book is kind of like the, the modern version of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was like the s- similar principles, but 10 years later, he took the Internet and applied the Internet principles to what Robert Kiyosaki had talked about. Okay. So then when I was out of work, out of work, now we got social media, we have the Internet. You can sell things online. You don't have to have a, a, a business or a, a storefront, let me, let me say. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started applying those principles to what the Internet was becoming. And you know, that's how I got into entrepreneurship. But I had always been a person who I didn't want to go the traditional route. And I saw what, again, the examples in front of me, these people working in traditional right, they didn't even like what they were doing. And mm-hmm. we spend half of our waking lives at work. So I don't want to spend half of my life doing something that I don't like doing. I like playing basketball, but I knew I couldn't play basketball forever. So what am I right. going to do when that ball stops bouncing? So I knew as soon as I saw the lane for entrepreneurship, I knew that's where I was going to go. So hopefully that answers your question there. Long answer. No, it was it great. Answers. That was great. Great answer. Yeah. Good. Great answer. Um, so, yeah. So you said network marketing got you into a little bit more of uh, business principles. Oh, and yes. So, 
I, I, my question is too from sports from your long career of sports um mm-hmm. were there any principles that you had already heard of or not not heard of but no did you know any of these principles from basketball um and did what did you take from basketball and put that into your entrepreneurship it's a good question i actually did a, a I've talked about that in some videos, but I, it was a, a while ago that I talked about it. But uh, one of the main things was for me in particular, because of my background, is I had to sell myself to even get into pro sports. Okay. Now, yeah. a player that's coming from, let's say, like yourself, or you come from a, a Division One background, uh, you might have had some choices, right? right. You got out of college. I didn't have any choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had I had no options. Nobody was checking for me. If I didn't take initiative, I never would have played one minute of professional basketball. So I had to call on my selling myself skills. And that actually where that came from was another story. When I was in college, I'd always had jobs. Like I got my first job when I was 15 and my okay. parents were always like, all right, we're going to provide the basics. But as soon as you're old enough to work, you need to go and get a job. Like okay. all the extra stuff you want, you get a job. So I worked well, no real part time jobs on the weekends and stuff. Now I worked at the mall once. I worked at the store called Hat World and Hat World still exists. And I remember the manager there, this woman, I forget her name, but she was about the same age as my mother. Mm-hmm. And we'd be standing there in the middle of the mall, like on a Wednesday and it's dead empty. There's nobody in the mall. So I would just talk to her about, and I would just pick her brain on things. Cause I've always been, I'm a, I'm a sponge. I'm the type of person I can take in a lot of information and I can extract the useful parts and remember it. So yeah. I would talk to her and she had this long career in retail management. She had been in retail management her whole life. And she had had all these different jobs. I was like, where'd you work before this? And she would tell me and she would tell me how she got the job and all that. And the thing is, for us, in my era, at least, like all mm-hmm. of our parents would send me and my friends. They would send us out to go, go get a job. As soon as you turn old enough to get a job, go get a job. So we would go to the mall every weekend. We go in Foot Locker, you know, the music stores, the place we like and ask for an application. Right. And again, for those of y'all who are a little bit younger, this is not on the Internet. You had to actually go in the store. They would hand you a sheet of paper and you had to have a pen. And you would actually write your write your information on a piece of paper and you had to bring it back and hand it to somebody. That's how we used to have to apply for jobs. Uh-huh. It sounds crazy, right? Now that I'm describing it, but that's how it was. So we would always be, it was surprising to me that she was able to get so many jobs. I'm like, well, how'd you get hired? Because I applied for all these jobs and nobody would call me back. And she would say, well, look, I got the interview and I would go in there and sell myself. And she was the first mm-hmm. person I ever heard use that phrase. She would okay. say, I sold myself. I got the interview and I sold myself in the interview. That's how I got hired for the job. And I always remembered that that was in the I was like a freshman in college when I worked with her. But then when I got out of college and I wanted to play overseas and I didn't have any options, I remember what she said. Uh, Dre, you got to sell yourself because there's a thousand players who think they could play overseas, but it's like 100 jobs, not mm-hmm. even 100. That's that's being generous. How are you going to get on is not is not really based on talent. Yes, there's a baseline of talent. But what's going to make you what's going to separate you from all the other guys who want to get that job? You mm-hmm. got to sell yourself. And that's where these skills, all of this stuff started to kick in. How am I going to make myself, how am I going to make myself stand out? So it's kind of a roundabout answer is not specifically from basketball, but Mm -hmm. to get into basketball, I had to tap into that selling myself thing. And then the internet, as we now know, it was just starting to become what it is where no selling yourself and putting yourself out there is the name of the game. So it was, it came around all at the perfect time for me. Okay, cool. Selling yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. for someone, you, you, kind of, you kind of explained it, right? I was going to ask, how, how do you sell yourself? So when somebody is trying to get overseas or they're trying to get to a college or just in mm-hmm. their business, right? 
what is it that you sell mm -hmm. about yourself? Great question. So when it comes to sales, it's a simple four-step process. And a lot of people miss the last step. So the four mm -hmm. steps are, first of all, you identify a need or a problem that someone has. Okay. The second, and I'll go through these four basketball players. The second one is you obtain or you create the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. Third one is you discuss the, the virtues of your solution. In other words, you talk about why your thing is the solution to this person's problem. And the fourth one is you ask for the sale. That's the actual close. Third mm -hmm. one is the selling. The fourth one is the closing. And selling and closing are two different things. So okay. for a basketball player, I tell basketball players this all the time because a lot of ball players come to me and they're only thinking about themselves. They'll say, well, Dre, I do this. I can do that. I play defense. I'll grab rebounds. But mm -hmm. the coach is not putting me in the game. So what's the problem? And I say, well, the coach doesn't really care about what you think about you. The coach puts you in the game because you can help the team win games. The coach's biggest problem is they want to win games. That's their challenge. Your job is not to talk about what you can do and what getting in the game is going to do for you. Your job is to show the coach, not tell, but show the coach what you can do that's going to help the coach solve their problem. Their problem is winning games. So how can you present yourself as someone who can help the team win? If you do that, you'll make the team, you'll get in the game. If you're not doing that, you won't make the team and you won't get in the game. And this is what I, I explained this. I said this so many times to basketball players over the years because a lot mm -hmm. of them, again, they're only thinking about themselves yeah. and they're not focusing on what the coach actually wants because they don't have the selling mindset. A lot of ball players are just thinking about basketball. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing yeah. is identify the coach's need. Then you are the solution. And then you, the selling part is you must show the coach. All right. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do that's going to help the team win? Unfortunately, a lot of players are you no. Know, everybody's trying to be you no know, Steph Curry, James Harden, but there's only one of those on every team, maybe two mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. most. So what are, who are the other 13 guys on the roster? All right. They are doing everything else. So yep. what else are you doing that shows the coach that you can be an asset to the team? And then closing the deal is actually asking for the sale. Well, you don't have to say anything, but you got to show up wherever that tryout is. And you have to actually show that you can do that thing when it matters. Mm. And that's really important with basketball players. Like, like I said, that exposure camp I went to, yeah, I did a whole lot of practicing for a year before that camp. But if I didn't show that practice during those two days, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have mattered. I had to do it when it mattered. That's yeah. the close. Coach, that's a, that's a bar. That's a bar for every, <laughs> everyone, every athlete, all levels, right? From middle school all the way up to all the levels of college and pro, mm. you have to figure out a way to sell yourself. And those those four steps are um, they they're genius. They're they're straightforward. But you're right. People forget the the clothes, right? Mm. Like a clothes might be. Do you have a do you have a, a spot on the roster for me, right? Or something right. over, right? Right. Um, the clothes. That's that's really important. And in business, I've done that where. I don't close and kind mm -hmm. of tell myself. And then that's just that. And you kind of wonder why someone didn't, didn't um, choose you to train their kid or whatever it is. Um, because you didn't, you didn't ask them, right. You didn't ask for the clothes. You didn't ask for their business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I want to, I want to get into your, let's get into your book world. Like what sure. is going on? Is it, Am I correct with 31 books? That's correct. <laughs> Look, 31 <laughs> books. What, what's going on? What? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Okay, so let's, I'm excited. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> I have to, how, how old are you first? 40. 40. Yeah. So, I mean, 31 books. How often are you creating books? 
and I, and I want to I want to go back to your first one. But how often yeah. do you create these? Like, is it a couple times a year? Like, how do you how are you getting this out? It's awesome. Well, the first thing is I've always been a writer. So even before I told the story how I started on YouTube back in like 05, but I was writing even before that. So I've always been a writer. And to this day, I still write every single day. Okay. Now, a lot of those become, they might become a caption or an email, or they may become a piece of a book. But I am a, I was writing before I was on YouTube, before podcasting, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So writing is, is one of my main things. As far as when I put the books out, sometimes I might do several at the same time to answer your question. Sometimes it might just be one uh, isolated and I'm always, always got a bunch in the, in the mix. So right now, if I was going to Google docs, I probably got six or seven that are like at some stage that Mm. I haven't finished or really gotten focused on to really get it done. I haven't really been focused on writing books in the lab. My last book came out about a year ago, but uh, I haven't really been focused on making any new ones just yet, but I got plenty of ideas. I tell people I got more ideas than I got time. So I probably will right. never not get all of them out, but I'm going to get a good amount out. And the, the writing just came from the, it started with uh, just when I was doing the mindset stuff and mm-hmm. the ball players who were watching me, they wanted to know stuff. And I decided to put it in a book format because self-publishing came around, but I think you were going to ask me about that. So I won't jump ahead. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can jump to it right now. Let's, let's keep flowing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. my, my first book, cause I, you mentioned that my first book was uh, called buy a game or it is called buy a game. And that was from uh, back when I was in eighth grade, uh, this guy named Brandon, he was the best player in my middle school. And I wasn't really that good. I had just started playing basketball like at lunchtime every day. And right. the okay. guys in my grade, we would play basketball every day at lunch. He was the best player. So, and we were friends. So I said to him, Hey, and we were about to graduate from middle school. Where we were going to different high schools. So I asked him for some advice. Like, what can I do to get better? He said two things. He told me, he said, number one, Dre, you got to stop playing scared. Number two, you need to go buy a game. Like he's basically saying you don't have any skills. You need to get some skills. Mm. You can't dribble. You can't shoot. You don't grab any rebounds. He wasn't being nasty about it. He was trying to, he was giving me constructive criticism. Yeah. And that, that advice became what work on your game is from that. That's where it started. When he okay. first told me that, because he was he was keeping it real with me, but at the same time, not sugarcoating it. So and I appreciate him for that. And we still are in contact to this very day, as a matter of fact. And cool. that what that book by a game was just me telling my story from when I first started playing up through college. And I put that book out for free just mm-hmm. back in uh, this is probably about 2009, 2010. And then the next books that I put out were just all about things like discipline, confidence, mental toughness personal mm-hmm. list too because that's what i was talking about in my those weekly motivation videos okay those were the next uh four books i did one book on each one and then the next one was overseas basketball blueprint i'm not gonna name all 30 books here but next one was overseas basketball blueprint okay. that was just me uh, laying out what does a basketball player need to do if you want to play overseas these are the things you need to understand these are the things that you might not know about the things that nobody told you i laid all those out in a book called the overseas basketball blueprint and then okay. I wrote more books about overseas basketball. I've done four on that. And then about a whole bunch of other different things. But whenever I got a, a good idea that I felt like I could go deep enough in, I went and made a book about it. And because uh, the publishing industry opened up to where you could publish your own books, I was able to do that. So a lot of my books are self-published. I have uh, my book, Work On Your Game, is traditionally published, but all the rest of them are uh, self-published through my own company. And that's the good thing about the book world. Now, anybody can literally anybody can put a book out. So that's how I got so many out. 
that's crazy. That's that's awesome. That's so thank <laughs> that you. That is crazy. And so it, it makes sense that you know people like yourself, very creative, very visionary, have a lot of ideas. And so your discipline, I, I see, is that if you do have something, you jot it down. You've got doc, uh, you know, yes. Google Docs or whatever going, so that you don't lose it. So like me, I have a lot of stuff All going right. on. I'll lose it. I'll be like, oh, what was that <laughs> idea? Right. Yeah, I can't remember. So that's a good tip. Y'all gotta y'all gotta catch that. Talk about your, mm. your last book right now. Um, is it the third day? Yes. Yes. Tell us about the third, the third day. day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the third day, actually, uh, the concept came from uh, when I was playing ball. Okay. So I would put all these videos out for people who ever saw me on YouTube. They would see I was always in the same gym, always on the same court, and the gym appeared to be aside from me. It was empty. It was just me in the gym. So a lot of ball players would see that and they would say, well, Dre, how do you get an empty gym to yourself? Because a lot of basketball players when they're coming up, they want to get better. They want to practice, but they go to their local basketball court and right. every kid in the neighborhood is out there. So they couldn't get the court to themselves. So they would always wonder how I got the court to myself. They're like, Dre, do you own a gym? Do you got a gym in your house? Like, do you rent it out? How do you always have it? And there's nobody else in there. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, the gym that I used to practice at, it still stands. I could see it you know, off my balcony right now. And it was a city-owned gym. It's like $10 a month. So anybody could go there. We're not talking this is not Equinox. You know, mm -hmm. anybody can afford to go to this gym. But nobody else would be in there because I would just get there first thing in the morning. I realized that if I got to the gym first thing in the morning, nobody else would get up that early to go to the gym if they didn't have to. Like I didn't have to, right. but I chose to. So when I realized that I could get it to myself, then I could set up my camera and do all my filming and all that stuff. I just kept doing it. And I just mm -hmm. I just made a habit out of it. So that's how I was able to record so much and make all those videos because I was just going to the gym before everybody else. And I explained in a video that, you know, the, the third day concept is that the first day when somebody shows up somewhere, let's, let's just say, because there were several times over the course of years, like I was recording those videos in that same gym for like seven years every day for seven years. Mm -hmm. So, of course, every now and then you get some random straggler would stumble into the gym at the same time as me. And we might start talking or playing one-on-one -on -one or something like that. I remember it was this kid who came in there one time. He's a younger guy. He has some talent, some potential. And we uh, played one-on-one -on -one a little bit. And I said, he said, well, how often do you come in here? I always get that question. When's the next time you're coming in? I said, yeah. I'll be here tomorrow. All right, I said, come here tomorrow, first thing. So he came. And we worked out a little bit. He came the next day a little bit. But then he started coming a little bit later, a little bit later, until the point that he stopped showing up. And I yeah. told him, like, look, as long as you show up, we can keep working out, but you stop showing up. I don't know you anymore. And then he stopped showing <laughs> up. And that's how it goes. That's how it goes with people in life is that the yeah. first day everybody's all excited and everybody's putting on their best face and working really hard and all that stuff. It's like the first day of practice on a basketball team. Everybody's putting their best foot forward. Right. The second day, the energy's down a little bit, but everybody's still doing their thing. It's still pretty new. And by that third day, it's not new anymore. All right. By the third day, it's a routine. By the third day, now you realize that this is not going to be all fun and games. It's not just one uh, amusement part. This is actual work. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to all be easy. Uh, you're familiar with You start to get familiar with everybody. It's, it's not all fun anymore. And the third day is when you get to decide, are you going to be the professional or you're going to be the amateur? Because mm -hmm. the professional is a person who keeps showing up and giving their best effort, even when they don't feel like it. Whereas the amateur, they have the luxury of not showing up when they don't feel like showing up. So that's what the third day is about, is the decision that you make when the energy is not there anymore, the novelty is worn off, the newness is worn off. Can you still show up and give your best effort? Okay, awesome. 
y'all go out and get that book. I need to I need to get it so I, so I can read it. Um, it sounds like a great a great book. Uh, talking about I, I I hear discipline and I hear um, yep. showing up. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you. It's amazing what you have accomplished, man, for just showing up, showing right. up repeatedly. That's the game. That's mm-hmm. the name of the game. Sometimes it's just showing up, um, and you never know what come, what what you can get out of that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Talk up. Tell us a little bit more about your um, work on your game, your strategy mm-hmm. strategy and mindset coaching. Um, if someone was to, to work with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's say an athlete or any type of business entrepreneur, what's the process of that? Um, what can they look forward to? Great question. So I create a whole system out of uh, work on your game. As a matter of fact, at the same time that I released the third day, I put out uh, another book at the same time called the work on your game system manual is where I laid out the entire system of work on your game. And it's based on uh, developing your game, showing your game and creating return on investment for your game. Mm-hmm. And the, the nine part system goes discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative, mindset, strategy, accountability, execution and communication. So that is what I take people through. Now, people may be at different stages based on what they need. So I work with people from ex-athletes to people in finance, people in real estate, people mm-hmm. who do uh, business mergers. So it depends on where they're at and what their specific needs are. But in that system, we are teaching people how to create that return on investment for the skills that they have and what they're putting out there into the world. we make sure they get the skills developed. Then how do you put it out? And then how do you make sure you create the exchange, which is the sale and the close. So that's really what I help people do. The biggest thing in work on your game is the strategy, because mm-hmm. it's not like I'm working with people who are complete idiots. They mm-hmm. don't know anything and don't know what to do. Yeah. A lot of times when people get uh, coaching, it's not because they don't have answers or it's not because they don't have access to information a lot of times people get coaching because they want someone to hold them accountable to the information that they do have and make sure that they're following through on it yes. that's one of the, the biggest benefits of coaching it's just like like people say all the time like the best professional athletes in the world they know what to do they know how to play but they yep. still have coaches why <laughs> is this why does steph curry have a coach why does lebron have a coach when there's very few people in the world who can play better than them they have a coach because the coach makes sure that they stay on point and do what they're supposed to do. And the best professionals understand the value of someone holding them accountable. It is not about necessarily them being some some wizard sitting at the top of a mountain with more information. It's mm-hmm. about making sure you're held accountable and that you follow through on things. And one of the main things that I do, one of my specialties is helping people strategize. How do we make sure you're following through? How do we create a strategy and a plan that does the hard heavy lifting for you to follow mm-hmm. through so that you're not depending on hyping yourself up and getting motivated to get things done, but actually you have a strategy that ensures that you get things done. That's uh, what work on your game does. Awesome. So you have a strategy, you got a plan to get mm-hmm. them where they need to be, but also just to help make sure, not just a plan, right? But a plan to make sure they take action and get executed and get stuff done. Absolutely. Because that's, I think that's where a lot of, people may lose is because I did you don't get that execution you don't take action so you're still mm. looking at the plan and have a plan um right okay so that's that's awesome so you also so you do individual got this plane going over <laughs> you do <laughs> individual work um and then some corporate uh-huh. work some organizational uh work as well with the with the work on your game 
Yeah. So in my in my university, it's called Working Your Game University. I have options for people to work with me one on one. I'm selective mm-hmm. about that. I have a group coaching program as well. And then as far as as far as with the Working Your Game brand, I do things like consulting and speaking and stuff like that with outside organizations. Okay, sweet. So yeah. I, I want to get back to coaches and okay. uh, mentors, coaches and mentors, however you want to, whichever word you want to pick. Who do you have around you to help you strategize, right? To help you execute your biggest goals and your visions. Yeah. So I like to differentiate between coaching and mentorship because uh, what I say is coaching is mentorship with a price tag, right? So mentorship is free. Coaching is you pay for it. So I am in uh, three different programs right now. One for uh, when it comes to uh, creation of products and content and things like that. Another for uh, the organization of just the overall, it's kind of like the foundational pieces of how a business is organized, not necessarily telling you what to do and how to do it, but the foundational pieces of what needs to be in place in more of a general sense. But we have, of course, they have calls and things like that where you can have your stuff critiqued and mm-hmm. you can ask questions and things like that. And then another program that's more for like the the operations of a business, the organization of a business. And I'm probably about to join another one in July, which is going to be or next month from when this is coming out Mm -hmm. for. And it's more specific about here's a system that you can run specifically to get certain clients into your business at certain price tags. So you can kind of just make sure and get a a real hardcore. uh, What's the best way to say a real specific system? That yeah. you can sell over and over again in a more kind of in a more passive way. But I really like what they have in place. So I'll probably end up joining that soon, too. OK, cool. I can't I yeah. can't wait to get with you outside of here and be like, what, <laughs> what you learning, man? I, I love it. I, I love yeah. the fact um, I love the coach and mentorship differentiation. But I love mm-hmm. that um, you continue to push yourself and have other people lead you. I think that's. I think that's what some people um, need to incorporate. Sometimes you got to pay for it. And sometimes you're lucky enough to have somebody care enough to be like, hey, I'll, I'll help you. Right. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. A few more questions. I know we, we, we get into our hour. Man, this is we can keep going. such a, such a great, more we great. Keep going. Okay. Such a yeah. great, um, such a great podcast. This is, this is amazing information. Um, so for that player, it's over that, uh, that is overseas. So that student that's like, hey, I really, I'm interested in, in going in the direction that uh, Coach Dre went into. How do they start a coaching business? What would be your top five things mm. for them to take action in and, and get going? So they want to coach sports or they want to coach like business? What kind of coaching are you talking? Let's say business. So it's not going to be sports, <clears throat> excuse me, but business and some type of other skill that they have developed outside of sports. Okay. Well, it, it goes right back to what we talked about in selling because it doesn't really matter what you're selling. Right. In any any product that you want to offer is, first of all, you have to identify a need in the marketplace, identify Mm -hmm. a need or a void or a challenge that a certain person or a certain group of people have. Then you develop or obtain access to the solution. And so Mm -hmm. that solution can be, all right, we'll get on a Zoom call or we'll sit down in person twice a week for an hour and we'll talk about what your challenges are. And I'm going to help you walk. I'm going to help walk you through those challenges. That literally is coaching. And then it's you have to tell people why being coached by you is a good idea, why it's worth it for them. And then you had to ask them to make a commitment. You got to ask them, Mm -hmm. all right, will you pay $1 to be coached by me, whatever the amount is going to be. So you can do that with anything. You can do that with a book. You can do that with personal training. You can do it with, I mean, you can do that with relationships. Actually, you find somebody who's looking for a mate. All right. You are, you are the mate. 
you tell yeah. them why you're a good mate, then you ask them, do you want to be it? <laughs> right? It's the See, same right? thing. So that, that framework applies to anything that you want to sell. So if someone wants to get into a coaching business, it also depends on what kind of coaching you want to do. So if you're trying to coach people one-on-one, you can just follow that formula right there. If you're coaching people, if you want to coach people where you kind of are giving the same thing to each person who comes through, you have to get clear on what the outcome is that you're going to help them get. And then you want to sell to people who want that outcome. So what outcome are you going to help people get? So let's say you're a personal trainer and you help people put on you know, 10 pounds of muscle. Then you got to find people who want 10 pounds of muscle. Then you have to create a system that anybody who jumps in, it can get that 10 pounds of muscle, maybe with some adjustments. And then you target specifically those people. But that framework applies to anything that you're doing. OK, great. Are you always selling something? <laughs> always, always selling <laughs> everything sells or you yeah. know <laughs> something that you want to be impactful with. Thank you for uh, right. sharing that. I want to I want to ask um, on, on the mental health side through your basketball career, through your business career and life. What has been the most um, impactful moment, meaning um, I guess something that you had to, to overcome um, mm something that maybe affected your mental your mental mental health but you you overcame it and got through it mm. i would say the biggest one would probably be after my first job my first yeah. overseas job i was in lithuania and i came home that job was over in like six weeks so okay. i come home mm. and this is after i told everybody hey i'm going overseas but i'm back so quick you know you get back okay. and yeah. people are like hey i thought you were going overseas why are you back okay. and then I had to that I had to get a job because I'm still in my parents' house. I'm 23 years of age at this point. And I get a job at a supermarket working the overnight shift. Now, that's not the funnest job. And but at the same time, it's not terrible. But it is when you just came from playing basketball overseas, getting played to play ball. Now yep. you're working overnight at the supermarket. So that was probably the lowest point of my adult life, I would say then, even when I didn't have a job. Because when I didn't have a job, I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. Or if you had a job, now you're out of it. Now you're at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. That was probably the lowest point. The good news is I had a, a pretty good agent at that time. So I only yeah. worked at that supermarket job for about a week and a half. And then he called me and he had a new <laughs> job for me. So okay. I was able good. to get out of there. But I always remember that. And every time I go back to Philly, I drive past that supermarket and I'm always I post like on my on my IG. Like, yeah, I used to work here. It's a place I was working overnight. So okay. I would say that was the the hardest part. But the it made me appreciate the opportunities when I created them. And it made me you know, just make sure, all right, let me make sure I stay on top of things mm -hmm. and don't get in the situation again. Cause when I smell like, all right, this, this season is going to be ending soon. All right, where am I going to play next year? All right, mm -hmm. I don't want to be sitting there wondering, all right, where's that next job coming from? I want to get it lined up already up front. Awesome. So that was, that was the way that I just started thinking because of that situation. Okay. And you, you from Philly? Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Um, how so how did it what emotions went through your mind through that because <laughs> you know hey the job is like yeah because i've been through that like going overseas about to go who everybody knows right. who's saying, making making money and then it ends early right right <laughs> six weeks yeah. you're back how yeah. did it feel like what emotions went through you when you had to come back to the states and just talking to people when they said that you know mm. man it was Oh, what's the word that I would use? I was just disappointed. I wouldn't even say embarrassed because, yeah. I mean, I was playing overseas. The people I was talking to weren't playing overseas. And yeah. I knew I would get back on. 
But I was just disappointed because I'm like, man, I thought I had gotten out of this. Now I'm right here back in it. And I don't know how or if or when I'm going to get back on. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges of playing uh, when you're playing overseas, uh, you don't speak the foreign languages. You don't know anybody over there is that you're at the behest of other people doing stuff like your agent has to do something. They got to call this person. They got to call that person. And these things got to get negotiated. You don't really have control. You don't have any control over the situation. And I didn't like not having control. So that those are the emotions that went through me. I didn't like that. But at the same time, I liked when the phone rang and my agent said, hey, we got a job for you. We got an opportunity for you because very few people would ever get those chances. So even though I hated not having control, I liked the end game of not having of not having that control. But then when, as soon as I saw the opportunity where I could get myself some control through mm-hmm. you know, building my brand and the internet, mm-hmm. I took advantage of it so that I had control over something, even though I kept playing ball and I didn't have control over that. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Priceless. Um, as a, mm-hmm. as a um, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. as a human being, like how do you keep yourself um, energized? How do you keep going? healthy talk about self-care what do you do what's you what's what's uh drag all day self-care look like good question so there are five pieces to self-care that i tell everybody it is uh sleep uh meditation which is the mind flexibility exercise and water those Mm -hmm. five things so making sure that you get enough rest every single night just sleep this basic thing Mm -hmm. that by the time you get to probably by all of us by the time you get around your late 20s you start to feel it when whether you get a good amount of sleep or you don't, you can see it, you notice it in your performance. Then when it comes to the meditation, that's just in the mind. So it really is mental, but meditation is the way that I do it. And it's also having goals in place and just looking at your goals consistently. I was just talking about that earlier today because mm-hmm. when we're recording, this is the last day of June. So this is like halftime of the year. So are you right. look at your goals. Where are you at for the year? setting your goals for the next month. I'm big on goal setting, always have been. So making sure that you're keeping yourself mentally on point and sharp and you have to be intentional about it. Third one is flexibility. And I mean, it's like literal flexibility. So I do yoga every single day. I do foam rolling, I stretch and I do that stuff all the time. And when I live in a building that has a jacuzzi, I use it. And mm-hmm. luckily the one I live in now has one. So that all keeps the flexibility up because when you're a, especially as athletes, because we have all these miles on our body, beating our bodies up. Yeah. The human body was not made to do what we do as athletes. It was not designed for that, but we do it. So the flexibility is all those things that kind of keep our bodies from getting old faster than they should be. Because as soon as you start to get stiff and you can't move anymore, you have no more range of motion. You become an old person, old mm-hmm. man, old woman, because you can't move and yeah. you don't want to be you no know, 50 years old, but moving like you're 70. Right. <laughs> so that's the that's the, the flexibility part of it. That's why I do yoga every day. Even yeah. if I didn't play sports, I would still do that. Uh, then the fourth one is exercise. This is an easy one for athletes. We exercise anyway. And I haven't played. I stopped playing ball in 2015 and I didn't go. I went basically cold turkey. I don't play pickup. I don't play in any rec leagues. I don't do mm-hmm. none of that. Mm-hmm. I don't play ball at all. Yeah. But I'm still in. I, if somebody saw me, you would think I just got came off of somebody's training camp. Right. Because right. I still work out every day. I just do different stuff. So the exercise is just what keeps your body in shape and a healthy mind and a healthy body. All that's okay. combined. And then the last one is, what was the last one I said? Oh, yeah, water. That's what you're putting in your body. So I don't drink anything. I drink a protein shake in the morning, and I don't drink anything else other than water. I don't drink soda. don't drink juice, no alcohol, and I just drink water. And I try to drink at least one ounce per pound of body weight every single day because that helps. The the mind is 78% water. Your muscles are mostly water. 
and it helps your digestive system, your um, metabolism, helps mm-hmm. your skin stay clear, all of that stuff. So that's those are the five. Awesome. Y'all heard it. So for athletes, like when you retire, I feel like that that uh, was a number four exercise. Yes. <laughs> that might be tough. I'm still trying to figure that out <laughs> and have discipline. I'm like, at least walk, ride a bike, something. But you have to you might need to pick up a different sport. Pick up something huh? different besides ball. Yeah. Yeah, like I like boxing and I like running. Those are two things I like. I love I love boxing, kickboxing, and then I will swim if I can get to a pool. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um all right, let's shake the uh shake the crystal ball up. So, I want to know where do you see yourself um I'll say in the next 5 years. Okay, so a good chunk of time but far 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 away. In the next 5 no. years. Yeah, in the next 5 years I will be I continue to build my business. I really want to make the I want to take the work on your game name and get more people to know about it. Is, mm-hmm. is more people should know about the work on your game framework because this framework can apply for an athlete, can apply for a business person, and anyone can use this. And when people hear it, even if I don't explain it, they see work on your game and say, oh, I like that. Work on your game. It makes sense. Yeah. Everybody gets it just from hearing it. So it's my responsibility to spread that message and get that word out to more people. So that's my number one job is getting it out there to more people. I'm just the vessel for the message. And that's my biggest thing. So everything yeah. that I do is a means to an end to get in that direction. That's what I'm doing business wise. OK, so cl- any yeah. closing remarks for um, the college? athlete the uh, pro athlete in um getting into entrepreneur entrepreneurship or just like advice on finding what your next thing is outside of your sport yeah so all right so which one are we talking about the, the athlete who's kind of easing out of sports let's do that let's do that one first so that the college athlete okay. that won't go pro Okay, so the college athlete who's you know your your career's winding down, you're not gonna play pro in your sport, is understanding that first of all, your years as an athlete are not wasted just because you didn't go to the whatever pro league. Mm-hmm. Because there are things that you learn and that you had to do as an athlete that you know the regular people, the non-athletes didn't have to do. So there's a ton of value in that, such as having to show up every day and practice, like the confidence to go out there and perform in front of audiences, the mental toughness to throw away what happened on the last play or the last game, the last match and come back the next day and do the same thing. Your ability to work within a team concept, even though you might not get along with everybody on the team or you might not Mm -hmm. have the role that you want to have on the team. All of that stuff is super valuable in the business world is also valuable in the, the world world, the regular world. So your job as an athlete or a former athlete is to extract what are the tools and the strategies and the assets that you got from playing sports and how can you translate them and help them help apply them in your post athlete life? Because I mean, you could just throw it all away and start from zero, but why do that? Uh, Take what you've already learned in all those years that you put into sports and figure out a way to uh, make those assets work for you moving forward. Awesome. And all right. So where can they find your book, The Third Man. Day? So The Third Day, I'll show you all a copy of it right here. Yeah, let's see this that. Is, I love the color. This is the third day. Thank you. The Decision that Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. This is my latest book. You can get a free copy of this book, as a matter of fact. This is the hardcover. You can get the hardcover or the paperback. Hardcover costs a little bit more. If you just go to thirddaybook.com, the book is free, at least the paperback version. All you're going to do is cover the shipping for the book. 
You just cover the shipping. I'll send you the book for free. And I've written a lot of books. So when you go through the funnel, you can get just one book if you want. But who reads just one book? We'll offer you a bunch more books. So you got options. You could leave with 12 books. You can get eight. You can get five. Or you can get just one. But you go to third book, thirddaybook.com. Just pay for the shipping. I will send you a copy of this book, Physical in the Mail. Boom. Y'all heard it. Go get it. Third day book. Uh, Dre, thank you so much for being on the Stats to Assets podcast. Um, we we had fun. We had fun today. I can't wait to uh, share your story with everyone. So we are out. I will see you when I see you. Peace.